Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hello, welcome back. I am Chris, the lead pastor at Compass. As always, I'm really glad that you're with me today. Now to start, I want to tell you a tale of two traffic stops. So let me paint a picture for you of the very first one. I was in a four-lane road, and there were houses on one side of me and these big empty fields on the other. Now, normally the speed limit on roads like this is 45, and so that's what I thought it was. I was wrong. A cop passed me in the oncoming lane, and he slammed on his brakes. He did one of those scary, fast U-turns, and then he flipped on his lights. I saw it all in my rearview mirror. After I pulled up, he came up, and he explained that I was going 45 in a 30 miles per hour zone. That's bad. I was totally busted. There was no way that I wasn't getting a ticket. But, as luck would have it, he was a Patriots fan. And I just happened to have a Patriots sticker on the back of my van. So we chatted about football for a little bit before he ripped the citation out of his book and he handed it to me. You know how much that ticket cost? Nothing. Because he let me go with a warning. So not only does Tom Brady win Super Bowls, but he gets me out of speeding tickets. It is a really good feeling when you know that you deserve something bad, but you don't get it. The second traffic stop, let me tell you about this one. This one did not go so well. I was speeding on the interstate on my way home from work. I had just taken the exit to the street that I lived on when those blue and red lights started flashing on behind me. Now, just let me skip to the end of this story to tell you everything that I got ticketed for, because it was a lot. I got a ticket for speeding on the interstate. I got a ticket for rolling through the stop sign at the end of my exit. I got a ticket for not having my driver's license on me. Another ticket for not having proof of insurance in the car. And then finally, I got a ticket because the sticker on my license plate had just expired the month before. To recap, in one traffic stop, I got a grand total of five tickets. And even even though I deserved each one of them, I didn't drive away going, you know, well, I did do those things and he was probably just doing his job. No, I probably had some other choice words to say because it's a really bad feeling when you know you deserve something bad and you do get it. What we deserve is complicated because it's kind of subjective. We often think that we deserve good things when maybe we don't. You know, I deserve a raise. I deserve a better grade. I deserve a warning instead of a ticket. We can even confuse the bad things we deserve for the good things, and vice versa. Thomas Jefferson said that the government you elect is the government you deserve. Now that statement has a really different meaning depending on whether you voted for or against the people in control of the current government right now. But I think if we were being totally honest with ourselves, we don't really want what we deserve. If I saw you at Target, and we started chatting and I ended our conversation by saying, hey, have the day you deserve. You probably wouldn't think I was wishing you well. No one ever had someone tell them, I hope you get what you deserve and responded by saying, wow, thanks, I really appreciate that. It's always better to focus on what we want and what we need rather than what we deserve. But as we continue to follow Jesus through the gospel of Matthew, we're gonna see him begin confronting some people with what they deserve as a result of their actions and their attitudes. So let's start here in Matthew 21, verse 14. It says, The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. 
The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? So here we find Jesus. He is in the temple in Jerusalem. It's the first day of Passover. Uh, It's the first day of the last week of his life. And he's in the temple and he is not making friends with the religious leaders. He had already flipped over the tables of the money changers and, and the sacrifice salesmen because they were gouging people with exorbitant fees. He invited the blind and the lame into the temple to heal them in violation of the law and of religious tradition. And the religious leaders aren't happy about any of this. And now there's one more thing for them to be outraged at. There are children running around the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. So in case you don't know, Son of David was a term that was used to refer to the Jewish Messiah or God's chosen leader who was going to send his people or set his people free from the Roman oppression that they were under and was going to restore the kingdom of Israel to its former glory. Messianic claims were serious business. And the priests and religious leaders, they were already indignant that Jesus has violated temple rules and now he's letting kids run around shouting that he's the Messiah. They can't understand why Jesus would let this behavior stand. And so they confront him. Jesus, can't you hear what these kids are saying? You need to tell them to shut up. This is blasphemy. Look at how Jesus responds here in verse 13. Or excuse me, in verse 16. Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, you've taught children and infants to give you praise. Now, before we get to the main thing that's happening here, I want to highlight a few things that we can pull out of this that show us something of the character of God. And the first is that children hold a special place in God's heart. We've seen this over and over again in the Gospel of Matthew. We also see it here in in Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 14. It says that one day some parents brought their children to see Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Have you ever noticed that in movies and TV shows that the bad guy never likes kids? A lot of times that's how we actually know that this is a bad guy. They hate kids. And the opposite's true. We know who the good guy is because of how kind and loving they are with kids. Jesus loves kids. Just like the song says, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And while the part of that song that talks about the different colors of the children is problematic today, it's not problematic to say that they are all precious in his sight. We can see the goodness and kindness of God in, in the way that they hold a special place in his heart. Another thing that I want to highlight is that God rewards childlike faith. People who approach the kingdom of God like children have unique access to God. Look at this in Matthew 11, 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. There's something about approaching God with innocence, humility, and weakness 
that he responds to. And he responds to them in ways that he won't when we approach him with knowledge and pride and strength. It's like God reveals himself to people who acknowledge that they can't find him on their own and hides himself from those who think that they can. We see this reiterated in Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child who he put among them, and he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you had done a poll of people in Jesus' day, and asked them who deserved to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, they would point to the religious leaders. Those people were the most righteous. They followed the law the best. They knew the most about scripture and actually worked the hardest to be the most ceremonially pure. If anyone has the right to be the most proud of their accomplishments and deserved a seat of honor in the kingdom of God, it was them. But Jesus is like, Nah, the people who deserve the seat of honor in my kingdom are those who have no honor. People who are humble, innocent, people who are deeply aware of their dependence on God, people who are like children. God rewards those who have childlike faith, childlike faith almost as if they deserve it. But there's one more thing, a main thing that's going on here that I want us to see. So let's take another look at Jesus' response to the religious leaders when they confronted him about letting the children shout these messianic praises about him. So let's go back in Matthew 21, 16. Yes, Jesus replied, haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Now, anytime you see Jesus asking if someone has read the scriptures, you can know for sure that he's gonna point out how they have misunderstood or missed something in those scriptures. Now let's take a look at the scripture Jesus was quoting here to see what it is that Jesus is actually getting at. What is he really saying? So we're going to look at Psalm 8.2. It says, Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now, we all have sayings that are so familiar that you only have to say part of it and people just know the rest of it. So for example, if I said an apple a day, you know that it keeps the doctor away. Or if I said, fool me once, or a bird in the hand, you know, you get it. Now, Jesus quoted Psalm 8 too, saying, you have taught children and infants to give you praise, but he stopped. He didn't have to finish the statement because just like our familiar sayings, he didn't have to. Because the religious leaders, they knew what came next. Jesus is obviously saying something with his silence. So what is he implying? And I think the answer is found in what the praises of children do. The praises of children establish a stronghold against the enemies of God and silence them. Okay, so now let me ask you this. Who was put off by the praises of these kids? Who were the praises of the children silencing? Who was opposed to it and wanted it to stop? Was the priests and religious leaders of the temple. By quoting part of Psalm 8 and letting the rest just hang out there unsaid, Jesus appears to be calling the religious leaders his enemies and God's enemies. And I'm sure the priests were like, are you saying what we think you're saying? How dare you? And Jesus says, 
if the shoe fits. See, the priests thought they deserved honor and respect. They thought their actions and attitudes had earned them the obedience of the people and, and earned them control of the temple. But Jesus said, no, actually your actions and attitudes have earned you a place among God's enemies. What you deserve is a spot with those who oppose God. In leaving Psalm 8-2 unfinished, Jesus was actually condemning the corruption, the greed, and wickedness that had already infiltrated the temple system and the people who controlled it. The very thing God had designed for people to come near to him had been twisted and perverted into a, a religious structure that actually did the opposite. It took advantage of people. It burdened them with outrageous rules and demands. It excluded the most vulnerable. The priests were upset with Jesus because they thought he was corrupting the temple by violating the laws and the traditions and the protocols that kept the temple pure. But Jesus is like, no, the, the temple's already corrupted. It's been corrupted by the greed and, and the unjust religious structures that keep people from God. It's been corrupted by the arrogance of its leaders who cling to their power at the expense of the poor and the marginalized. Like we've seen before and like we will see many more times as we continue through the final chapters of Matthew, Jesus confronts the forces of corrupted and unjust religion. Now looking back at this passage, we can see that God has a special place in his heart for children and we can see that he rewards those who have childlike faith. And I love these facets of God's character. But at the heart of this, it's not really about the children. It's about something else that I think many of us need to hear. The main point is that God can't be found in religious structures that hurt people. I know this is something that many people who've been in harmful, harmful religious systems struggle with. Because it's hard to separate God from the organizations that bear his name. It can feel like if I've been hurt by a church, then I've been hurt by God. And if God and church are synonymous, I guess all I can do to not be hurt again is to walk away from God. And if that's you, I want you to remember something. Just because something is a temple doesn't mean there are no enemies of God inside it. Jesus said the priests and religious leaders were living in opposition to God. And if you've been hurt by a priest or leader, it wasn't because of him. It was the act of an enemy of God. Because God doesn't hurt us, he heals us. And sometimes the work of healing is being able to differentiate where that hurt came from and to not run away from the one who can heal us just because the hurt was done in his name. Just because a temple carries God's name doesn't mean God is the one who hurt you. We're going to continue to see Jesus confront corrupt religion and its leaders as we walk through Matthew. And my prayer is that our eyes would be open to see what's in our own hearts. To make sure that we aren't actually opposing God while we think we're serving in his name. And that we can find healing from the hurts that have been caused by the enemies of God that serve in his temple. And may we be people of hope and healing, willing to confront unjust religion while we build each other up into the new temple of God that Jesus intends us to be.
Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 